Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur Show. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who's out there who wants to find us, you can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. You can find me personally at Justin Bizarro, B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. And you can find all the shows we do, including this one, on Spotify or wherever else you guys grow yourself through podcasts. So I'm very excited. Uh, to have this guest back. I loved our first episode. Um, and what they are doing is totally up my alley. Okay. And I'm before I introduce them, I'm just going to tee everyone up here. And obviously you read the title, so you knew who's on the show. But I like to leave a little suspense as I'm talking. So, and it's my show. So I love what they're doing. I love the regeneration of our planet. Okay. And I love that there are individuals out there, um, particularly in farming, that are taking the um, the way we eat um, as part of human growth, uh, human health, and the regeneration of our planet. Meaning, we're trying to make our planet better than it was before, or at least over at least the last 100, 150 years, um, as we've done some severe damage, um, extinct a lot of animals, so on and so forth. So. This is very dear to my heart. It is something that I find great purpose in, uh, is spreading this word. It's part of the reason we, I wanted to do the podcast in the first place when we started this uh, four years ago in January of 2019. This show was the first one we did. And then came the Centurion Leadership Italian Show. And then this year we did launch the Night Dasher and the Justin Ryan Bizarro Show, which are starting to populate episodes uh, that we've recorded since February, uh, they've just taken a little longer to get approved. So, uh, because it is a new show. That being said, I'm very happy to introduce Kristen from John's Farm again. How are you doing today, Kristen? I'm great, thank you, Justin. And you? I'm doing very well. And we're recording on, you know, one of the we're approaching Fourth of July, which I think is awesome. I think part of being uh, American now um, is constantly what I would say we have a rebellious nature um, the way we are the way we sort of do things differently and we're losing that as a country but one of the things we do need to continue to rebel against is the way everyone normalizes bad food and by bad food I mean processed food I mean food that is more man-made than nature made or God made and you know so you know, particularly for me, um, it's about freedom and about liberty, uh, about independence as we approach Fourth uh, of July. And I know this episode will release slightly afterwards. But one of the things that I love about you guys is you found so much freedom and liberty and independence um, by doing what you guys do, and you found so much purpose. Um, so, uh, Kristen, tell us. You know, give us a brief update. If anyone's out there, you can go back and listen to episode 329. That's our first episode with John's Farm. They are out of Oklahoma. Pretty awesome. I love the state of Oklahoma. And um, the mic's yours, Kristen. How'd you guys give us a brief uh, story here? How'd you guys get started? And, and why did you guys convert to the farming that you do now? Sure. I'd be glad to. Uh, and I will make it brief. But uh, we have about... Uh, 130 years of farming history behind us, and uh, John has been farming now for 50-plus years. And when we began, we were uh, conventional farmers, just like all of those around us. And then in 1996, 
uh, we had several things happen that changed the way we thought and uh, gave us a new purpose in agriculture. And we started and embarked on the organic and regenerative farming uh, methods and procedures. And so that's where we are today. We are uh, certified organic beef producers. We also grow uh, organic wheat here in Oklahoma, which is uh, a great crop to be growing in Oklahoma. And uh, we have evolved into a uh, business where we are doing direct sales of our products to customers here in Oklahoma, as well as shipping wheat uh, across the nation as to large mills as well as individuals. So that's just kind of the short of things, Justin. It's taken us a while to get uh, where we are today, a lot of trial and error, but uh, we love what we're doing and we're uh, connecting ourselves back basically with our ancestors who were the first uh, organic farmers due to the lack of any inputs being available anyway. So we've kind of gone back to our grassroots and are practicing what what they did and what they brought to Oklahoma in 1893 when they came here in the land run. I, I love this. Um, just because you mentioned it before and we didn't actually define it this time, I know I'm getting us off. <laughs> here I am already off already off schedule or off what we discussed game plan, I should say. What was that that land grant that, you know, that's sort of what you're talking about, sort of, you know, I believe it was 1893 as uh, the date we discussed previously. Tell me what that was and, and why the, the move to Oklahoma and, and what that was for and, and sort of why you guys have the land you guys have now. Well, the uh, area here was opened up for a land run. Uh, it was unclaimed land. And so why in the world people gave up what they were doing at that time and lined up on the border and waited for the fire of a gun and then either ran on foot, on horseback, on wagon to stake a claim in an unknown territory just blows my mind. Uh, they had no idea what they were really coming to, or and they intended, obviously, to farm when they got here because they brought seeds, grains, and things with them. But it was just like stepping off a cliff uh, into an unknown territory. Um, so one of our uh, great-grandfathers staked his claim out in the rugged mountains of, uh, or the rugged area, I should say, of the Gloss Mountains. Um, why would you do that? There was no water, you know, very few creeks, and if there were creeks, they were probably dry because they are most of the time. And then my great-grandfather staked in some sandy loam that every time the wind blew, so did the dirt. So, you know, those people had to have a passion and a determination like nothing I don't believe I've ever experienced. We have, uh, we just honor them greatly. There is no way to truly uh, express our gratitude to them for what, for their bravery, their determination, their drive that has put us into the place we are today, which is far more civilized. You know, we, they planted trees. My, my great-grandfather planted a 1,000 trees on 160 acres. 
and that was to help hold the soil in place in this windy country. Um, they dug, made dugouts for safety. Um, it's just unbelievable what they went through. I can't not imagine. But they're the ones that did the hardest work, and we are the benefactors of that. Yeah, it's um, holy crap! I don't even know how to ex- talk about this because you really put something into perspective for me. Okay, because I think as entrepreneurs, and and since it's an entrepreneur-based show, and the majority of our listeners around the world are entrepreneurs, which are in the tens of thousands, um, even hundred thousands, probably at this point across the globe. Uh, so I know there's a ton of food entrepreneurs out there. So and entrepreneurs who are listening. And so we all understand the leap of faith uh, that we have taken to be entrepreneurs, okay? But this is, I don't even know how to describe it. It's almost a blind leap of faith, a true blind leap of faith because there wasn't photography then per se, not like it is now. We couldn't just dial it up on our phone. There was no phones, I don't think, maybe telegraph line. But you're in the middle of nowhere in the United States um, that's expanding across the United States. You're literally at a shotgun, you know, wedding type land grab, meaning whatever you grab is what you're stuck with. Okay. You don't know what that could be. Uh, but the risk, it, um, obviously is there, but to all the entrepreneurs, the farmers, I'll call them in this case, cause maybe they weren't called entrepreneurs then obviously, but they are in this case because they were literally grabbing land to plant seeds, to try to build a legacy, you know, and farming, I, I always find this interesting because coming from farming and being an entrepreneur, my mindset and my goals is much more long term. Okay. And it's more like, um, you know, I always think of generationally because that's what farming teaches you. Like, how is this going to impact generationally? I mean, if you're a pecan farmer, it takes how long before a pecan tree grows till you can get pecans off it for anyone out there to understand this. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. Orange trees, same thing. You know, the farming, it takes a long time, especially what we discussed in the first episode was like the switched when you guys went to organic and how long that took to transition your farm completely. Um, 10 years, I believe we talked about. And, yes. um, and, it's an interesting thing because we as entrepreneurs in today's age with technology and our cell phones are such in a rush, such in a rush. What am, I'm missing out. I need to get it done now. And, and we're off to the races and the anxiety and the, and the uh, desperation sometimes that comes out of it. But the reality is, is it's, we have a lot more knowns than they did back then. Okay. And people still took the risk. I mean, there were failures for sure, but, um, a lot of uh, farmers who learn from their failures very quickly, learn from the soil, learn from the ground, still have farms around today. I think that's a big thing. Um, those who didn't sell out to, you know, housing development or corporations or <laughs> the Bill Gates Foundation or whatever else is going on right now that's kind of crazy or the Chinese or the investment bankers who buy up pivots only weirdly and... Um, and pivots are the watering machines that you see in fields. So anyone knows those giant watering things that spin in a circle. And um, I just think that I'm blown away by that. I mean, I didn't expect you to say that or tell that story. And But I think on today, um, as we release this episode, since it is released on the 4th of July, this particular episode, and what a great episode to actually God 
put this in our place. I, I don't even know how to describe it, align this perfectly um, for us to be able to do this and tell this because this is an American dream. This is how it started. Not everyone started in New York City like my family, even though it was in food or in entrepreneur world. A lot of families came to America and started in farming before there was industry. Okay, so uh, this is really cool. So thank you, Kristen. That was that blew me away. Really inspired me. Made me feel like I'm like like a wimp someday. I'm like, man, I got to really put my stuff into perspective. Imagine what those entrepreneurs went through. Nothing, wooden wagons and horse-drawn carriages and uh, risking everything and just packing up everything they had into a cart a wagon and seeds and their family and going to risk it all. I just, um, such bravery, uh, such boldness. Um, I always wonder if I could go back and interview them, what they would say, you know, and their purpose. Wouldn't that be something? Yes. Yeah. Because I think it's just, you know, I might have to find a book out there, but maybe someone wrote book or had a diary back then and talked about it. Maybe, I don't know, but I just, I mean, it's something everyone sort of, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just other people were doing it around them, but not everyone, you know, and they were the trailblazers. They were at the tip of the spear cutting the flesh because no one else was doing that. I mean, totally unknown territory, um, totally unknown if the animals would survive there, the domesticated animals. I mean, so many different anomalies and uh, inputs uh, and factors that, that run into having success here. Yet everyone still did it, which I love. Um, maybe ignorance is bliss. I don't know, but it definitely worked out. So let's, well, you know, after they go got here and staked that claim, Justin, they were just they were told what they would need to do in order to hold on to that land. So not only do they have to adjust to this all new environment, figure out everything, where they're going to live, how they're going to be safe, what are they going to eat all of those things, but they also had were required to make improvements to that land the first three years. And after three years, they went to the land office, took witnesses with them to verify the improvements that had been made. And if there were required improvements had been met, then they were actually awarded the land. Up until then, they were living and working there, but they did not have ownership true ownership until they were approved at the land office i mean they were putting in all this blood sweat and tears in hopes that someday it would be theirs and that is what you know after all these years we have been passed free of charge there is there are no words to explain the humbleness no matter what state you're in or what you're doing, when that happens to you, there are just no words to explain that. You know, and I agree with you. I think, number one, the generational, in some cases, the generational wealth that was created by this land, um, you know, because it's so valuable now in a lot of cases. Um, There are families that are still benefiting from this from the 1800s, you know, Colorado and Montana and you know, we talked about Oklahoma, but you got like Utah in there and all these states where similar things like this went, you know, um, the homesteaders, you know, were, were going across the country trying to stake their claim as entrepreneurs and then having to survive. But here's the thing. 
could you imagine today's age that someone says you you get this but you you won't actually earn it uh, for three years and actually potentially you're maybe earning it but you may never get it so you're putting in the the three years of work for hope after you've already given up everything after you've already risked everything after you've already traveled halfway across what's now the United States as a whole because back then there was a lot of territory still going on and uh, before the states were voted in so it's something like historic I love history I love the impact of humanity I love what we can learn from the past but keep learn stay in the future as I say you know the the past we need to look at it it's our rear view mirror but the futures are windshield you know so that gives you a perspective of where your focus is it's good to fo- look in the back you know behind us appreciate it where we've been but also always make sure we use that to move forward uh, safely um, as as we have a windshield. So that gives everyone a perspective of what how I see it. But this case, I cannot imagine the generations or entrepreneurs or individuals today understanding that, even though it realistically probably takes more than three years to get a business off the ground now, truly. I mean, at least 10, 12 years. I mean, it was easily 12 years before I felt we had success in in business and even after that there were so many bumps in the road and 24 years later i'm now back to the land run where i'm like i'm starting all over again and while i have the podcast and and we're working on a tv show called futopia tv i mean futopia eat love learn futopia tv you can find that on instagram sorry guys i just did a plug there shamelessly and um but I just, you know, it really puts things in perspective. And weirdly, it's what I needed to hear today. You know, as, you know, days get harder and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a long grind all over again like I did 24 years ago, um, you know, for about 10 years of my life. I'm in that stage again trying to rebuild, trying to rebuild my life, uh, trying to rebuild businesses. Um, and just so everyone knows how serious I am about this and what the message in the John's Farm's doing is our new business is called Freedom Foods Company, okay, limited for anyone out there. And that's because I believe that food, you know, healthy food, diversity in proteins, diversity in vegetables, diversity in fruits, diversity in spices is essential for human health, growth, um, bettering the next generation than ours, and more importantly, it regenerates our planet. We've done with regenerative farming. Okay, across the globe, the things that we're trying to do, like science or shortcuts or hacks, nature already has provided for us, and that's why I particularly wanted to have Kristen back on um, this episode because it's very important that we continue to tell this story, and I give light. Um, and share my light with the light that they're doing to give their light more brightness because it, the world does need to see what is going on here. And the farther we get away from our food sources based on the growth of the population and modern society and 10 million different distractions um, and, and not really understanding where our food comes from and the impact we have when we make a choice on how we eat every day and our families eat, big deal guys probably more impact than whether or not we share a post on social media that gets 10,000 likes dead serious okay your influence and impact in the world is more in the way that you choose to eat how many meals do you eat a day how often do you go to the grocery store how many times it's something we do every day it's more important than 10,000 20,000 1 million likes on social media especially over a lifetime the impact is greater I know that's hard for everyone to believe because Instagram moves so fast, 
and all of a sudden you get 20,000 likes or something if you're lucky or if you I shouldn't say lucky if you worked hard and you figured out the system but the reality is is your influence and impact is very short in that case okay and even influences and stuff they don't stay relevant but the way we eat the way we choose to eat leaves impact so Sorry about that, Chris. I know it's your show, but I'm going on a tangent here. Um, commentary, just because it is 4th of July. I believe that part of fighting for independence, far, part of fighting for freedom, part of fighting for capitalism, and the entrepreneurial uh, way of doing things is by talking about these things in detail. So let's talk a little bit about your inspirations. Like, who has been your guys' greatest inspirations as entrepreneurs? as farmers to get to where you are because your farm was a hundred and three years old basically when you guys go decided to make the big switch uh and start going organic and and living by for lack of a better term the better way of farming um so talk to me a little bit about that inspirations motivations uh entrepreneurs leaders uh guys that have really and girls um that have really inspired you guys to do what you guys do and, and keep you guys going every day? Well, you know, I'd have to say that uh, being an entrepreneur is not anything that was in my vocabulary when we started into the farming back 50-some uh, years ago. And I don't know that it really is now either because it has just become a part of what we do. So I don't think of it probably in the same uh, realm or the same arena that, say, someone starting a restaurant would or developing a uh, business. Because I guess that's because we inherited a business for some part of that. Uh, I, and so becoming an entrepreneur was mainly a necessity for us because we had transitioned to organic products and now we were becoming uh, aware that we needed to have an outsource for our products so what's that going to be well there were no other organic producers here there's no organic cooperative there's no organic union whatever so we're like out here with a product and not knowing exactly what to do with it so out of necessity, we had to uh, look into what is it we can do, where are the people who might be interested in what we have. And so we had to make a lot of changes in, as John would say, in between our ears more than anything to realize where we were and what we needed to develop a path to get to where we wanted to go or at least to move our product and make it available to others who are somewhat like-minded because there are people out there looking for diverse foods. They're looking for healthy, wholesome food for their table, and that was us. So we focused on our grass-fed, grass-finished, and certified organic and animal welfare-approved beef, and slowly but surely, learned social media, uh, worked with other marketing groups, and tried to learn to become marketers ourselves, or at least be able to tell others about the product we have. I love this because, I mean, you've, you're now, 
I mean, I'm just going to help the audience here. You're ne- I mean, you're now beyond the farming, right? Now you're into like the food and the packaging and the branding of John's Farm and all of that. Will you talk to me a little bit about that? Because I, you guys went from farming, you know, commercially, what I'll define commercially, this the, what the old way of doing it is, uh, to changing your business, to changing your farm getting it to where it needed to be, which we discussed before, took about 10 years, okay? And that's when you already had established business and and things like that. But now you're also had to not only do the farming and sell the products, you had to come up with creative ways in a business to do that. So will you talk to me a little bit about that, like your mindset? Because you're right, I agree with you. Um, When you're in farming, you don't always understand that you're also an entrepreneur, particularly when you need to come up with creative ways to sell your products to the world. So Will you talk a little bit about that? We know John is still very much involved in the agriculture. Uh, he, well, change change is difficult, and for him to uh, change and accept all the technology that I work with every day is really not in his liking whatsoever. He loves to be out in the field. That's where he is this morning, uh, and he'll be there till tonight. Uh, there's anything he gets greater joy out of. So he is very much hands-on with everything that happens here at the farm. But that's where I was pulled into this new arena of what are we going to do with these products? So, um, well, I guess we needed a label to identify our products. And that took almost a year. Uh, someone else could probably do it faster than I, but, um, working through all the requirements and getting uh, USDA approval for a label took a year and then, okay, we've got a label. And then we also needed a processor who would uh, adhere to organic standards for processing. Uh, We need to get that in line. That took a while. So now we have a processor and then we have a label and then what's next? Well, we need a, um, a means to this frozen product between the time it's processed and it goes to a customer. Well, for a little while, that worked with a couple of uh, home-type freezers, but that didn't last long, and then we needed uh, more storage, so we brought in a walk-in cooler or freezer, uh, which we use now. We had to learn how to sort cuts and how to label it and know how to make all those things a little more convenient for us so that if a customer wants ground beef we know where to find it and if they want a steak we know where to find that and that type of thing and then we needed a website because how else are people going to find you in this day and age and uh, of course i recruited some uh, people much more knowledgeable than i in developing those types of things and um you know, it, it just continually evolves, Justin, with the introduction of social media, which I knew nothing about and still know very little about. I have tried to uh, watch what others are doing. I have consulted with people with more knowledge than myself, and we do have a social media presence. Um, but the consumer is always changing what they are looking for. And you mentioned we're always in a hurry and we like things convenient. And definitely the consumer does. And I understand that because that's today's way of doing business. But I've had to learn that. So we, uh, we are just now adding a third delivery route 
to our program. Uh, we've had two deliveries for quite some time. One goes through the central part of Oklahoma. The other goes more to the eastern part of the state. And one of those is on a Thursday. The other one is on a Sunday each month, one a month for each of those routes. Well, we decided it might be to our advantage to survey our customers and find out, are we meeting your needs? And or what could we do to better serve you? Uh, you know, we've, I've got a, a very nice uh, email database. Some of those people maybe ordered from me 10 years ago, and some of them yesterday. But we surveyed the whole group and said, what, what do you see? What would you like to see us improve? Well, it was interesting that uh, you know, we realized that some people were not able to meet us on our delivery routes it was just too inconvenient for them, especially with work schedules. So now we are developing a third delivery route, which will go from our home base here in western Oklahoma. It'll go through central Oklahoma and end up in eastern Oklahoma, and that will be on a Saturday. So hopefully we are meeting the needs of the uh, working people who do not have an opportunity to hop away from their jobs to meet us during the week, and we will better be able to serve them uh, on this particular um, new venture for us. Um, we learned a lot from doing a, a survey of customers, and I think that is extremely important. Um, I wish I had done it five or six years ago. We'd probably be in a better position than we are today. But uh, nonetheless, I didn't. So we will take what we have now and do our very best to uh, accommodate the consumer as best we can, and along the way, just continue to educate them about the importance of wholesome, healthy food to their diet, and especially to the younger generation. It's incredible, because, I mean, education's got to be part of the experience, right? You guys have got to tell your story. You've got to educate the consumers on what you guys do and why you do it. So, I mean, how do you go about that? I mean, do you guys spend a lot of time talking about the product, educating the consumers? I mean, I, I, you know, how do you go about that? Because I think, you know, we briefly touched upon it in the last episode, but I think it's greater than we had time for to answer. Um, and I'm going off topic a little bit again or off plan, but I, it's, um, I think it's important that we understand it because you guys, it's not just about getting the right thing out there. You then have to tie the story a little bit and educate as you were talking about. So how do you go about doing it? Do you go to the schools? Do you go to the community? Like how do you get that, that story, that education, that the information out there? I think probably the most, uh, our consumers or our customers or anyone that's on our email database receives our monthly farm newsletter. And that's my opportunity to pick a little topic that might be current out there. For example, there's this new vaccine being talked about now that uh, is disturbing to some people. So I do some research on the vaccine and then I compare that to organic standards as well as to what our personal beliefs are. And then I will mention that in our newsletter that, you know, so far this is not really available for the use in cattle. However, if it were, we would be opposed to it 
and it will not be accepted by organic standards. And so our consumer, those who are concerned, feels a little bit of relief there, like, oh, okay, well, that's one hurdle that I'm not going to have to jump through in order to continue to feed beef to my family. So those newsletters um, are very valuable, and it's an opportunity for me to address topics that are pertinent uh, to the consumer. And then in doing so, I relate what it is that we are doing here on our farm. For example, uh, we might talk about regenerative farming because that is a very hot topic. That basically, in our opinion, is a new term for sustainable ag. Um, it relates somewhat to organic, but not totally. So it's outside of the organic program, but there's things in the regenerative program that we have incorporated into our operation for the last 27 years. So it's not new to us, even though the term is new to the consumer. So we talk about building terraces and, you know, having waterways and those types of things and keeping uh, wildlife habitat accessible on the farm as a means of educating the public to what it is we do here uh, so that they realize that not only are we uh, raising livestock, but we're cherishing the land. We hope that we just leave the land in a little better shape than when we inherited it to pass on to the next generation. I love it. Uh, it's incredible. I mean, and, and on this topic, I mean, did you, I mean, did you have other entrepreneurs in your family? I mean, we talked about the farmers and, and the entrepreneurial uh, spirit that they had, but talk to me a little bit about influences. I mean, were you able, I mean, not only, I guess, in your family, but around you, because as you're going into these more entrepreneurial journeys from the entrepreneurial farmer uh, into like direct to consumer into packaged food, for lack of a better term, and not like the traditional packaged food, I mean, packaged uh, meats and things like that. Like, I mean, who were like, were there entrepreneurs around you? Were there people around you that helped you with this? Like, because I mean, it's not easy and it can be lonely. So talk to me a little bit about that. And, and let's, let's try to, cause I, it's a, such a bold leap. And I know there's some entrepreneurs in your background that you may want to talk about, but talk to me a little bit about that because I can't imagine that it was easy or, that um, someone like you, that you guys network and communicate and build your relationships so well that there probably is influence there, but maybe not. You know, Justin, I guess the first uh, entrepreneur by title would have been my great-grandmother because I've been told that when they had excess in their garden or they had excess eggs or milk, she would bring those into uh, town and sell them to uh, the town folk who needed those staples in their homes. But to the best of my knowledge and recollection, I don't believe either of our parents did anything like that. And John and I did not do anything like that either until we had our organic certification, because prior to that, we took our products to 
the livestock market or to the co or grain to the co-op. But when we had these challenges in front of us now, we need to do this in order to get to XYZ. Uh, it was like, okay, we have got to do this. Oklahoma State uh, provided some uh, help to me. I visited with them on numerous occasions. Uh, and they could send me, if they didn't have the answers, they could tell me who to go visit with. Uh, but basically, we just took that task on ourselves and decided, you know, this is something we need to do, um, come up with a brand, um, come up with a label, uh, get it approved, and move forward. And uh, certainly, there have been different marketing groups uh, here in Oklahoma that I've turned to after I've gotten to a certain stage and said, okay, now I think this is the brand we want. Can you help me design a logo? Or here's our logo. Where do we put it type of thing? So, yes, we've had some, you know, we seek out people that have the know-how that we we lack to help us get to where we need to go. And and we and we talked about it a little bit on the last episode, but I mean, even switching into organic um, farming, I mean, there you had to rely on other people's knowledge. Excuse me, to um, you know other people, and I'm sure John had to go out and and do his due diligence, for lack of a better term, and and find people and find organizations or individuals who are willing to help you guys do what you do. So I mean, we talked about the entrepreneurial side, but even on the farming side, I feel like you guys have had to build a community. It takes a village, not just a family, right, to to raise kids, but it also takes a village to build an entrepreneurial endeavor or a farm, I have to imagine. So, I mean, let's you touch know, upon if you that could a little start, bit. Yeah, if you could start out uh, where there are others around you, that would probably be helpful. In our case, there were two organic farmers in Major County, and one of those uh, – was an elderly gentleman and he was getting ready to retire he was well in his 80s and the other one was a neighbor who farmed up to our fence row so the one that was farming up to our fence row had another business he asked us to farm for him with the stipulation that we be organic and we turned him down we didn't know organic but after several visits with him we agreed to take it on. And he said, you know, I'll help you any way I can. And then we turned to uh, a couple of magazines, uh, publications that are geared for the organic farmer. And Justin, I can't even imagine how many hours John has put in reading, reading, and reading some more to educate himself and then he goes out into the field and he looks at his dirt and he looks at his crop and he evaluates his production. And then he reads some more. Uh, you know, organic is not huge in Oklahoma by any means. In fact, we just uh, had a meeting this last past week and the organic uh, inspector and program uh, administrator for Oklahoma was at that meeting and there are only 100 organic certificates in Oklahoma that are 
under the Oklahoma Organic Program. Wow. And that we was have way two less of those. than I was expecting you to say. Yeah, we have two of those. So there's 98 other producers. There are only, to my knowledge, two or three other beef producers in Oklahoma, none of which are close to us. And to the best of my knowledge, do not use private label uh, direct to consumer marketing. Um, there are just less than a handful of organic wheat producers in Oklahoma. Uh, one is one that we helped uh, get into the program many years ago when I had opportunity to speak at a conference and shared our story. And then someone became interested and, and went into some organic farming. But there are, there are no uh, organizations, no uh, particular uh, groups of people that meet. Um, I tell you, we were, we were out there in the ocean on a ship by ourselves for a long time, trying to figure out how to float that boat. But thankfully, our neighbor, you know, we got desperate enough. We'd call and say, what should we do here? Do you have a suggestion? And then our, uh, uh, the organic team at the uh, Oklahoma Department of Ag, now, you know, if we have a, a problem or can you help us or do you have a suggestion, we can call them. So there are people out there, but as far as, you know, linking arms with three or four other farmers and say, let's march now, we did not have that opportunity. It's interesting. So, I mean, if you guys are, I mean, I've got to imagine you were some of the first in the state. Um, and so you're blazing a trail, like as other farmers in the state transition into organic or into that certification do they come to you and john for expertise or for help and because you this is one of the things i and i'm going to anchor it for everyone okay when you are an entrepreneur you are a capitalist and an industrialist also in some cases and i encourage a lot of successful entrepreneurs to think of themselves as capitalists and and industrialists as well and people are, i'm not talking about industrialists as industrialization and mass production of of processed food okay that's not what i'm talking about um i am somewhat talking about massly producing food but not in the you know the negative way but in the the healthier way but what i'm really talking about as an industrialist and a capitalist is as entrepreneurs when we start blazing trails we also have to create industries around where we're going because sometimes they don't exist and we've got to become an industrialist and support that industry and in this case what i mean is the organic movement the the regenerative movement um, and for lack of a better term, I say movement. I shouldn't say that. It should be a lifestyle, okay? A regenerative lifestyle for the farm and for the individuals on it and the animals that exist on those farms, okay? And the plants and, and so on and so forth, spices, blah, blah, blah. And um, and I mean capitalist in that the, these have to be growing businesses. There has to be financial support. And we have to create an awareness that there is the ability to profit in these industries, but it takes time and it takes work. And um, that's what I mean about capitalists, because it's not only my saying rah, 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 rooting for organic or regenerative farming or, you know, grass fed, grass finished beef, for example. I've also now got to go help the industry. I've got to be an industrialist. I've got to build that industry. I've also got to be a capitalist knowing that, that, um, I've got to build dreams that are not only big enough for my farm, but big enough for the industry, the farmers, 
the workers on the farm all over the country, particularly in this case in the state of Oklahoma, to also thrive. Because if they don't, I don't benefit as much weirdly. Like you've got to build industries around these things and that's how these become more popular. That's how the marketing and advertising actually becomes in front of the, that, that gets in front of the consumers by multiple sources. And when we see multiple sources, it's almost like a verification that, hey, this is happening. So that's what I mean by being an industrialist, also in a capitalist. So I just want to anchor that. But let's talk about my first part of the question, which is like as other people in the state of Oklahoma or maybe other states started going to regenerative farming, were they coming to you guys and John for for your expertise? You know, we don't see a whole lot of that, Justin. And I I think that's because there aren't many farmers, at least not in our area, who are willing to make the change. And change is hard. And it's something that I think if we're asked and being truthful, we would say we resist change. It feels better to be where we are, especially if we're comfortable. Change takes effort. Uh, it takes a shift in our thinking. Um, you know, you can do a little research and find out that some scholars believe we're hardwired to resist change. And I would admit that it, when we first began this process, I was hardwired. It was difficult, for, more difficult for me to make the change than it was for John. Uh, within three years, he was like, this redefines me. I am an organic farmer. I love it. I believe in it. I am enjoying producing healthy food. We're going to uh, have enough for our family and hopefully to share with others. And that's who I am. But for me, I was like, oh, brother, this looks like still looks like a lot of work. And I'm going to have to change. I'm going to have to learn some new stuff. So and. And why do we change in the first place? You know, we we have to either truly be inspired by something or something has happened in our path that makes us change. And for us, you know, we, we had a situation or a circumstance come up uh, that we could have easily given up farming through discouragement and depression. But... When this challenge came, it was a new focus, our opportunity to focus on something better than what we were focusing on. And that in itself promoted change, even though maybe at the moment we didn't realize that's what was going to happen to us, but it did. So when I look across, you know, at, to all my neighbors, I'm like, they're comfortable with what they're doing. They're okay with that, and I'm okay if that's what they want to do. I, that's fine. I've done that. Uh, I understand. But until we're willing to make a change and learn a new process, I don't know that we will see a whole lot of organic growth within the state of Oklahoma. Do I think it's happening elsewhere? Absolutely, because it's far more accepted and has a much richer history along the coast. We went to the east or west coast. Uh, you know, we would be surrounded by other organic producers. Where we are, we're not. 
Thank you, everyone, for for listening in. I know that was a a short stop there, but we're going to leave everyone on a cliffhanger there as we move on and and split this into two episodes. So I thank you guys for listening in, and and thank you, uh, Kristen, for your time. It's been amazing. Uh, You're an amazing human, and you guys have an amazing business, you and John. And and thank you to the audience for listening in. I appreciate you guys. Uh, Stay tuned. Part three will be coming out in two days. So stay on with us so we can hear the rest of the story. I guarantee you part three of this series um, of John's Farm is incredible. Okay. It's a message worth listening to. Okay. There's a lot of good carrots, pun intended throughout these two episodes through part one through part two and now part three that will release in two days happy fourth of july everyone i love you guys be safe today drive safely be careful out there it's a lot of drunk driving a lot of drinking and driving a lot of drugging and driving okay but be safe protect your family protect yourself enjoy freedom today okay let freedom ring okay let that bell be heard why It's important as entrepreneurs that we understand we are in the very forefront of providing freedom and independence to the world by having our dreams big enough so that all the other dreams of the world fit into it. And as farmers and people in the food industry, how we buy our food, how we serve our food, how we as consumers choose to eat our food, okay? It matters for our planet. It matters for the future of humanity. It matters for the future of the animals, the plants, the bugs, the insects, you name it. Okay, bugs, insects, same thing, I guess. But you know what I'm saying. Anything on this planet matters and is influenced by the way that we eat. It is not just a decision to have a cheeseburger. Think about the impact of your decisions and the money that you're spending. Okay, and I get it. We have financial constraints, but we can do a better job, guys. We can eat better. And by better, I don't mean only healthier for our brain and our body. I mean for the world around us. We need to heal the world, guys. We need to regenerate it. It's not about sustaining it. That means keeping things at the status quo. We need to regenerate it, make it better. Okay, thank you for everyone listening in. I love you guys. You can find me on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. Please share this episode if you like it. Give it five stars. Give it likes. Give it a good comment. Share it with your friends. Spread the message. We need more regenerative farmers out there. We need more farmers, period, out there based on that the, the farms are being consumed by corporations and foreign entities and foreign governments. Okay, and nonprofits who actually aren't doing the right thing. Okay, even though you think they do because they're nonprofits, it's just not true. Okay, there might be some out there, I haven't seen many. Okay, but we need to have ownership as entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs who are willing to be like John and Kristen and going out and taking the guts and knowing that it's a long term play to regenerate the planet. So, guys. Stay tuned for part three. I love you guys, and I'm out.